Welcome to the First Mass Podcast. Today, Pastor Paul preaches from Colossians chapter 1 with the title of The King and His Kingdom. Let's listen in as he shares in the in-between time of Pentecost and Advent. Let me remind you, every Thursday morning at 6 a.m., I pray with anybody who would like to pray with me via Zoom. And so if you want to be a part of that prayer time, you need to click the Zoom link, and we text it out the morning of. And so text prayers to the number on the screen now, and you will receive those texts early on Thursday morning to remind you to, to get up. And as I heard someone say recently, uh, join the Zoom call and then roll over in bed. So you're welcome to do that. If I call on you to read scripture, you can pass, uh, but that'll be all right. I just, I always want to be reminding us of the importance of gathering together, and as we're getting toward the end of the, the calendar year, we have opportunity to gather together via small groups, and if you're not already a part of a small group, out in the Welcome Center, there is a list of currently active small groups. I encourage you to join a small group. If, if you're thinking, yeah, that sounds great, but maybe later, we'll also be trying to launch a handful of new small groups come the beginning of the calendar year. And so I invite you to just be, just be thinking, like, what am I doing? I'm always wanting to challenge people to be intentional about our Christian growth. And so what are we doing in the year 2024 to make sure that we're continuing to grow in Christlikeness? And I think, from, from my personal experience, a small group has been very important and helpful for me as I've tried to, to grow to be like Jesus. And then one other just housekeeping bit, kind of family, family news, kind of family, not even news, just a, a plug. Every year, our Family in Need Fund, we try to drain it at the end of the year coming around Christmas, and we have, we have some money in it. Uh, just a reminder, if you'd like to give to the Family in Need Fund, we don't generally ever make appeals for it, but you're welcome to just mark giving family in need fund if you'd like to give above and, and beyond your tithes and offerings for that. Uh, encourage you to do that. And then we drain it by just giving it away to folks in need. So if you're aware of a family that could just use a little extra blessing this end of the year Christmas season, uh, please let me know. Let us know in the church office and, and we'll try to, to help as many folks as we can uh, this, this Christmas season. Well, it's almost New Year's. <laughs> Next Sunday is the beginning of the new year, did you know? Uh, it's, it's the beginning of the church year. The, the season of Advent begins the, the church year. Today is the last Sunday of, of the year. And so, happy, happy New Year's Eve Sunday, I guess. We, we in the church year, we celebrate season, so we begin the year as in the northern hemisphere, the, the darkness is getting darker, and we're all sliding into this dark season in weather, we begin to celebrate the coming of the light of Christ. And so we have hope and joy as we look forward. Over the next four Sundays, we will be celebrating the four Sundays of Advent. I'll be sharing the pulpit with our staff during that time, so I'll, I'll preach one. Everybody will take one Sunday. And we'll be preaching through some psalms during that season as we celebrate the joy that we have in the coming of Christ. So that's the beginning of the year. The year kind of goes through, there's Pentecost, and no, wait, there's Advent, and then Epiphany when we celebrate the wise men arriving, and then we uh, have kind of some common days, we say, and then there's the season of Lent where we're preparing our hearts for Easter, then there's the season of Easter until Pentecost, and then Pentecost happened back in June, and we've been in the season of Pentecost ever since. And sometimes we call this, this part of the year the common year. I like that. I like the idea that the majority of the year, or the lion's share of the year at least, is common. Isn't that just kind of how we find life? Like, the, this is the common it's just day in, day out, the common part of the year. So we've been coming through the common part of the year. We're, we're to the last Sunday, the last common Sunday for a while. And we're, we're here this last Sunday before Advent. The church has historically celebrated in a way we call it Christ the King Sunday. We remind ourselves on this, this Sunday that we serve King Jesus. 
that Jesus came as a king to establish his kingdom. His first public words in, in ministry were, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so Jesus came to establish his kingdom. We are, we are subjects of his kingdom. And today we're going to look at a passage that is a typical Christ the King uh, passage in the book of Colossians. So I'm in Colossians chapter one this morning, if you'd like to follow along in your own Bible. The, the text will be on the screens too when the time comes. This, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had never been to. The, the, the letter to Colossians is to the church in the city of Colossae. Uh, it's a church that Paul didn't establish, that he, he had never visited. And so just sort of on a flyer, he, he writes this letter to the, the church in Colossae in order for them to, to you know, be blessed by, by his writing is kind of a big deal. Paul was, was, you know, like a Christian celebrity as much as there were Christian celebrities in the first century. And so Paul, getting a letter in a, in a city from Paul for the church, that was like a big deal. Like imagine, you know, who's like a big Christian celebrity? I don't know. I don't. Imagine if N.T. Wright, he's one of my favorite authors, imagine if N.T. Wright wrote a letter to Lewiston First Nas, like I'd call y'all together and I'd read it out loud because it'd be a big deal. So this is a big deal for the church in Colossae. They, they get this, this letter, and, and we're going to jump into chapter one, kind of midway through chapter one. Paul had this very, very rigid formula he followed as he wrote his letters. All but Galatians, I think, follow this formula of Paul addressing it. He says, you know, it's Paul with whomever I'm with, and I'm writing to the church in the city of Colossae. And then he, he says a little blessing. He says, you know, may God be with you. Grace and peace is the typical blessing that Paul uses. May grace, God's grace and peace be with you all. And then he, he says a prayer for the church. And we're going to jump midway into to the prayer that Paul is praying, writing for the, the church in Colossae. And so I'm going to start in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. And we're going to read a, a good portion of the chapter here, but I'm just going to start with the with three verses here, uh, four verses. Colossians 1, 11 through 14. It says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So Paul had already been, been praying for the Colossians, talking about how he heard about them. He, again, he had never visited, so he heard about them from this guy Epaphras, who's his, and they had heard about the gospel through Epaphras, who is Paul's fellow, fellow worker in the gospel, co-worker. And, and so he's had some, some thanksgiving and, and some introductory remarks here. And, and this passage that I just started with in verse 11, he really starts praying requests in earnest for the church in Colossae. So he's been just kind of bouncing around. Now he's really getting into the heart of his desire for the church there. And, and his, his prayer is that they would be strengthened, that they would be strengthened with endurance and patience. And I have been highlighting, I, I kind of, I am, I've been thinking a lot about this idea that Jesus doesn't guarantee us just like an easy road all the time. Being, being a Christian doesn't mean that, like, it's just always, it's a, it's a primrose path, it's an easy path, it's, it's always, you know, wonderful. And so Paul prays, like, you need some endurance, you need some patience, you need strength in this. And so Paul prays, you, may, you be, may you be strengthened. It, it, but Paul doesn't want, want it to be drudgery, right? In no way is Paul saying, like, man, buckle up because you're just going to suffer forever. Paul, Paul wants the believers in, in Colossae to know that even with this, this strenuous and difficult path, there is the possibility that we could live in endurance and patience with joy. And so he says, may, may you be filled with joy. 
Isn't that great? Like, this is a season when we are, we are looking, looking forward to the joy of, of the birth of Jesus. This, this is good news. This should make us, like, kind of happy about it. We should, we should be filled with, with not just, like, drudgery. This shouldn't be sad. We should be celebrating. This is good news. This is joy that, that God has, has sent us a Savior and has made a way for us to have relationship with him. And so we have, we have joy. The book of Nehemiah has this just amazing little story. Uh, the book of Nehemiah, it, it gets pulled out of context sometimes, and, and we'll see just this phrase that comes in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's a, that's a phrase that we are familiar with, and often without the context. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is like this, this organizer. He's an administrator, and he has led God's people into Jerusalem where the city was in shambles. It had been destroyed, and they had been taken away to Babylon, and he gets permission to take some people back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He rebuilds the walls. It's miraculous. It happens so quick, faster than anybody could have imagined it would happen, and then he gathers all the people together to read the, the law, to read the, the covenant, this idea that God has called us into relationship with himself. And, and he, he sets up this big, this big stage kind of thing so all the people can gather around and they can hear the law read. And, and Nehemiah has the law read to the people. And it takes a long time. It's, it's this long, long passage, long, long book. And as the people are hearing it, they start to weep. And they start to mourn because they realize how far from God they have gotten. And Nehemiah says, stop! Stop the people from mourning! The joy of the Lord is our strength. This isn't bad news. Yes, we've blown it. We've ruined it. We are so far from what God wants for us. But this is good news because God still wants a relationship with us. God is still calling us to be his people. This is good news. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It doesn't matter that we've blown it and we blow it. We blow it. We get ourselves way far away from what God intends for us. But the joy of the Lord is our strength because out of joy, God calls us into his presence. And we celebrate this season of joy because the, the biggest movement that God has done in all of history in calling people into his presence is Jesus. And so we're going to, with joy, celebrate as, as we prepare for the arrival of the Christ child on Christmas. My friend Dana Ben Scotter, Dana Ben Scotter has this unique, uh, he's, people know him either from Pierce, Idaho, or Honduras. I don't know that there's anybody else in the world that has like those two, those two points of connection with this world, right? Like Pierce, Idaho, and Honduras, that's not a straight, straight path. Uh, ironically, many of us know Dana both ways. <laughs> we, we know him either from Pierce or from Honduras or both. And, and Dana, he, about 10 years ago, who more than that, a while ago, Dana, I was hanging out with Dana a little bit, and he, he would say, if it's not fun, I'm not doing it. If it's not fun, I'm not doing it. He, he, he was, you know, I think he wanted to be a, a curmudgeon, but he wanted to have fun while he was being a curmudgeon. And so he would say, if it's not fun, I'm not doing it. And, and as a missionary, he, he kind of took on this idea that, you know what, if the joy of the Lord is my strength, I'm going to do things that bring joy. And what a motivator to continue on in, in this calling in this life if, if we have joy in, in fulfilling what God's called us to do. Man, how... How awful would it be to continue in the Christian life without joy? Oh, why, would, why would we do it? And so Paul says, 
may you be filled with joy. May you be filled with joy. And then he, he gives us like a reason to be joyful. He, he says, because we've received the inheritance be- that belongs to God's people. And it's an inheritance that takes us from the realm of darkness or the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, which is Jesus' kingdom. And this, I think this is probably part of why we find this passage on Christ the King Sunday. This connection that Paul makes to the, to the kingdom of Jesus, uh, to the kingdom of God. You know, Paul, Paul doesn't always talk about the kingdom in his writings. Paul talks a lot about the lordship of Jesus, which is like political language. Uh, I know I do this all the time. Paul says Jesus is Lord. It immediately draws a contrast with the Roman Empire and the, the good news of the Roman Empire that Caesar is Lord. Paul says that over and over and over again, that Jesus is Lord. That is the gospel for Paul. But here, Paul uses this, this language to describe Jesus' kingdom. The, the kingdom of God, it's not, it's not a theme that shows up all, in every one of Paul's letters even. Uh, the, the list is, is just a handful of times that Paul mentions the kingdom of God. But in this passage, we, we see that Paul really does understand Jesus as king, that Jesus was sent to establish a kingdom, and that we, as, as believers, we belong to the kingdom that Jesus established. And, and it's interesting the way that Paul uses, uses the, the language to describe it. He, he says, this inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. We, we move from from the, the kingdom of darkness or the realm of darkness into the kingdom of light, uh, away from the kingdom of Jesus, which is this, like, this reign of light, this, this kingdom of light, this living in the light. And it reminds me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little leap. I'm, I don't know if I was just kind of like scattered in my thinking this week, but I just, I'm, stick with me, if you will. Please stick with me. It's, uh, it reminded me so much of, of the way that, that, that John, in the book of Revelation, talks about our ultimate hope. Um, I know that's not where you thought this was going. It, you didn't have it on your scorecard, I know. There's this image of heaven in, in Revelation chapter 21. You know, the, the picture of heaven that we get from the Bible is a little off-putting sometimes because it's not angels with wings sitting on clouds playing harps, right? Like, you can't find that. I don't think you can find that anywhere. Uh, the, the image of our final reward at the end of the book of Revelation that we get is new creation. This new creation, new heaven, new earth, this new city of Jerusalem. And, and so in Revelation 21, it talks about new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem descending out of the sky, and then there's this proclamation, a voice shouts, and, and this is the proclamation, Revelation 21, verse 3, it says, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. See, that is, that's a pretty challenging picture of heaven, for us, if we're expecting that God's just going to, like, suck us out, like, like, the, like a vacuum, like cleaning a speck of dust off of the face of the earth, if we're expecting that and then to, to enter into uh, angels with wings on clouds playing harps, it's a, it's a pretty challenging image to, to that notion of heaven when we actually read Revelation and, and try to understand what God has in in mind for us for, for the ultimate reward. And, and so Paul, or, or John says, that the great good news of our ultimate hope is in this announcement. God now dwells among his people. God's home is with people. That is, that's the big hope. That's the big hope. And then, so the reason that Colossians 12 and 13 gets me thinking about that, is this idea of this kingdom of light, this kingdom of light and the kingdom of Jesus, uh, because at the end of, the, of uh, chapter 21, in, in Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23, 
it says, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. That's Hold on to that. Just think about that. And then, the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the lamp, or the lamb is its light. God, God and Jesus light everything up. I don't know how you sleep there, but we'll figure that out when we get there. But the, the God and Jesus are, are all the light. There's no need for sun and moon, because God's presence illuminates it all. Uh, I don't know if we'll need to sleep. I don't know. I don't know. So, can I ask you to just hold on to that? I just need you to like, like hold on to that for me. This idea that our ultimate reward is, is God's presence. And, uh, and that like his presence is going to illuminate everything and, and bring, bring light. It also says in that chapter, like, he will wipe away every tear. Um, this, this God's presence, that's ultimate reward. Hold on to that, will you? Can you just like seal it up in a jar, but not too tight? You need to open it in a little bit. If you'll hold on to that idea for me, I'll continue through Colossians 1, and we can, we can keep getting, getting more light here. Uh, I'm, and so I'm going to continue on. I'm going to read verses 15 through 20 now. And this is what what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who raise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Well, this passage is, is a, a hymn. It's a hymn of praise. It's often referred to as the Christ hymn in uh, Colossians 1 here. We don't know for sure if this is something that Paul might have written specifically for this letter or if it was a hymn that the church was singing and, and was aware of in the first century. But it fits Paul's purposes, and, and it fits it really well. You know, I, I talked a, a few weeks ago at the end of First Timothy about how Paul just sort of like bursts into praise sometimes. And it could be like he, at, in verse 14, he had mentioned how Jesus purchased our freedom and forgave our sins, and so he has to just insert this, this hymn, this song of praise in the middle of his, his line of thought. But the people who study this letter say, don't, don't call this a distraction. This hymn ties into places all over in the letter. Paul, Paul had this, he, he may have had this tune ringing in his head as he wrote the letter because over and over again in, in the letter to the church in Colossae, we hear echoes of, of this hymn. It is, it is foundational to what Paul has to say for the church in, in Colossae. And so I'm not going to take time to go through it line by line as much as I would love to and tell you every, every you know, nuance of the Greek text here. It's really interesting. It's wonderful. You should study it more. But let me give you three themes that Paul develops really quickly, and then I'm going to move on. This, this could be a whole sermon, right? So three themes real, very quickly. The first theme is that uh, Christ, that, that Jesus is one with God, is God, is the, the visible image of God. You know, in, in verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. We hear this sort of language elsewhere in the New Testament. In the beginning of the book of John, the Gospel of John, John has this, a Christ hymn, a hymn about Jesus, uh, where, where John says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is, is one with God, is equal to God, um, and not, not in like a, 
in an equal relationship kind of thing, like Alyssa and I are equal in our, in our marriage. Uh, it's not like that. It's, like, it's more like math, like one plus one equals two. Like it's just different ways of writing the same thing. Jesus is God. They are, they are one. Jesus is the visible image of, of the invisible God. He is God on earth in the flesh. And we need this like point of clarity for, for us as a church to understand who Jesus is. And we need to be clear like about who Jesus is. This is, this is like essential stuff for us. So it's worth taking a minute, even though it's like bonus material right here in this sermon, it's worth just one more time. Jesus is God, God in the flesh. We'll probably get to that a little bit through Advent some more, I would guess. So, the, so Jesus is God. The second theme is Jesus' role as first in all things. And, and Paul lists three ways that Jesus is first. He's first in creation, he's first in the church, and he's first in the resurrection. And the Christ hymn in, in Colossians, it, it makes the same claim that John makes in his Christ hymn in John chapter 1, that Jesus is the creative member of the Trinity. Jesus is the creative part of, of God. And John says it, God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. But more than just being creative, Jesus is first in all of creation. Creation exists for Jesus. Isn't that an interesting thought? Like God created through Jesus for Jesus. It's an interesting, like I don't, it reminds me of the phrase that God is not just stranger than we think, God is stranger than we can think. Like, this is, this is one of those areas where we are just challenged in our understanding. Uh, like, for me, for you, this probably just makes total sense. And you're just like, yeah, you'll catch up someday, preacher, don't worry. But uh, it's just this incredible, incredible way that, that God has, has used Jesus as, like, the creative aspect, and it's for Jesus, in the same, at the same time. There's this really interesting parallel hymn in, in Proverbs, of all places. In Proverbs chapter 8, uh, in Proverbs 8, wisdom is personified, and wisdom speaks. And, and wisdom says this in, in Proverbs 8, the Lord formed me from the beginning, before he created anything else. I was the architect at his side, I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence, and how happy I was with the world he created. How I rejoiced with the human family. Now, I don't know, again, this is like the edge of my ability to understand God, I think. But it, it's just so amazing to me the way when wisdom is personified and talks about creation, it sounds so much like the way we understand Jesus to be active in creation. Jesus, who, by the way, called himself truth with a capital T, the truth. Uh, I, I don't know. You, you, can, you can just, like, keep working on that. I do want to just, like, put a pin, in, though, in that idea that Jesus is the creative one, that all of creation is through him and for him. But Jesus is first in the church. In, in verse 18, we read, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Jesus holds the preeminent spot in the church. So just like creation is for him and by him, the church is kind of by him and for him, right? We exist for Jesus. He's first. Jesus is first in the resurrection. The hymn says, in, again, the second half of verse 18, he is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, rise from the dead, excuse me. Jesus points the way to eternal life through resurrection. We, our hope is in Jesus for resurrection. Uh, and so, that's the, that's the hymn. Jesus, Jesus is God. Oh, Jesus is first. I have one more theme. <laughs> I forgot the third theme. That's, uh, that's Jesus first in creation and in the church and in resurrection. The, the, the third theme in the, in the hymn is, is that Jesus is, brings about reconciliation between God and people. 
Verse 20 says it, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. We belong to God because of Jesus. We are not enemies of God because Jesus has made a way for us to approach God. And we have, we have peace with God because of Jesus. And so, Paul, Paul includes this hymn as a reminder of us who our king is. And, and he is so utterly worthy of worship. Uh, we, we, can't, we can't put enough hymns in our theological writing. We, we can't stop and, and praise God frequently enough. And, and when, we, when we are thinking about God, when we're at the edge of our ability to think about God, we praise God. <laughs> and and we, we praise the Lord because of Jesus. He is always worthy of our praise. And so the, the hymn says that there is peace between God and everything. Peace between God and everything because of Jesus. And Paul doesn't want us to miss exactly what everything means. And so he continues on in verses 21 through 23. You know, just a reminder, God made peace with everything on heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Verse 21, this includes you. (laughs) This includes you who were once far away from God. You are his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Paul takes us, I'm doing great on time. I was worried. We're going to be okay. Okay, Paul reminds us. Paul reminds us here uh, of the journey we have taken. (laughs) We were once far away, and by the power of Jesus' blood on the cross, as he says at the end of the the hymn, by the power of Jesus' blood on the cross, we have been, we've been accepted into God's presence. And I, Paul says, we, we stand in God's presence holy and blameless without a single fault. That's, that's really powerful language for us when we think about us. Uh, we are doing the best we can. We're inviting God to, to, do, to make it better, right? Paul says, you can be holy and blameless without a single fault in front of your God. You can be in his presence, holy and blameless. And, and Paul, he says, you know, like, you gotta, you gotta stand firm, right? You gotta continue, continue to believe this good news to the day of your death. You gotta continue to stand firm. I've been wondering, like, what, what good does it do to stand firm? What does it, what does it accomplish? Like, is it just, is it just like we bear the difficulties of this world so we can get to heaven? Is it just like, if we just like buckle down, screw a smile on our face, like we, we can make it till we can survive? Is it, 
Is it so, do, do, do we have to do this? Do we have to like stand firm? Is it our ability to stand firm that makes us okay for heaven? Like God has to, has to bless us, has to accept us into heaven because we have stood firm. Like we're earning our way in. Is that, is that what's happening here? Okay, remember what I asked you to hold on to? We're gonna pull that out of the jar now. I asked you to hold on to the idea that our ultimate reward, that heaven is, is announced with, with those words, the dwelling of God is now among people. The God now lives among people. Uh, that's how John, John talks about it in, in Revelation. Let me, let me try to read that through Colossians and a little bit more of Scripture and, and try to get us to, to what good maybe it does to stand firm. Okay, so the greatest gift, what you've been holding on to, the greatest gift that God has to offer all of us, what we call heaven, the greatest thing that, that we can experience in this life or the next is God's presence. The what God says is the ultimate reward. At the very end, when, when all the bad is gone and there's only, only those who are redeemed left, and that which is redeemable is left. And it's new creation, new heaven and earth. The announcement from heaven is the dwelling place of God is among people. This has always been the greatest reward that God has to offer. In, in creation, Genesis 3, it, it, happened, it comes after the fall, but we hear about this custom that God had of walking among, among the people in the garden, walking with his people in the garden in the cool of the evening. Uh, and, and it was God's custom to do that, we read in, in Genesis 3, 8. We get that picture. That picture is, is Eden, that's like as good as it gets, right? That is God's intended created order for humanity. God would walk with us in the cool of the evening. At the end of Genesis chapter 2, it talks about how the people were naked and felt no shame. And I don't think that has to do with just like Adam and Eve feeling shameful in front of one another. I think that's really about how they felt about being in God's presence. Because they don't hide from each other, <laughs> but they hide from God in Genesis 3. They hide from God because they're ashamed. So the greatest gift, this, this planned perfection that, that God created with was for him, nothing covering us. Totally, totally okay with it. No shame in front of God's presence. And so we get that idea of God walking with his people in leisure, without shame. That's like the ideal for us as humans. But then it's lost. Sin enters and, and it's gone. And then God like, will move forward into history and God, God calls the people of Israel. He forms, forms a people out of this group of slaves escaped from Egypt. And God wants to establish something among Egypt and, and it's this place where his presence would be. And so God has the people create a tent. It's called the tabernacle. It's kind of a fun word to say, tabernacle. It becomes a verb because it is the place where God's presence dwells and God tabernacles with his people. When, when the tabernacle, this tent, it's, it's by the way, it's, an image, it's like a reflection of the design of heaven. When, when it's dedicated, we read about fire descending from heaven onto that place. It doesn't consume it, but God's presence descends on that place, and it's pleased to dwell there. And Abraham goes in and, and meets with God in that place, in the tabernacle. 
the tabernacle moves around with God's people as they move around and then they get established in, in the land. And they become this mighty, powerful nation of Israel. With Jerusalem as their capital. And after centuries of God moving around in a tent, the kings decide it's time to build God a house out of rock. So Solomon builds this enormous temple, this glorious palatial temple. It's like one of wonder of the world. You know, it's this huge thing. And Solomon prays a prayer and God's presence like fire descends on the place. God's presence dwells in a temple like that. It gets destroyed. It gets rebuilt. It's a, it's a tiny little thing for a while and then it gets rebuilt again and it becomes kind of pretty spectacular by the time that Jesus was living. It's the place where God's presence is on earth. There's actually like a little, a little room, the Holy of Holies, there's this little room inside, this, this little room, and it's got a throne where God's presence dwells. There's not an image of God because that's no-no, but there's this throne where God's presence dwells. There's angels made out of gold uh, with their, their wings over it, and it's this incredible it is, it is the place where God's presence is so thick that if you accidentally go into there with sin in your life, it'll strike you dead. God's presence is pleased to dwell in that place. When it was dedicated, the fire, the fire came down. Well, Jesus then uh, came, and he was God's presence on earth, right? Like, well, you can't not see that uh, from, from what Paul says. Jesus comes to earth, he walks around God in the flesh among people, interacting with people, and, uh, and then dies. And the Bible tells us when, when Jesus dies, this incredible, strange little wrinkle in the story is that the curtain that separated off that holiest place where God's presence was pleased to dwell, where the throne of God was, the curtain that separated that from everything else was torn from top to bottom. the thing that was separating God's presence from people, it was no longer, no longer a thing. Uh, and, then, and then we get this final picture at the end of Revelation of, of God's presence, pleased to dwell. New heaven, new earth, that connection again. Jesus, the creative one of the Trinity, new creation. There's got to be something there. The, the, this great hope of God's presence among people. Not people sucked up away from all the bad, but God's presence right there with people. No need for a temple in that place because God's presence is everywhere. And, and we live somewhere in between, right? We're somewhere between Jesus and behold, God dwells among people. The dwelling or God lives among people now. We live waiting for new creation. We live waiting for, for God to dwell among us. But there's reason to be joyful now. There, because, because there's one thing in Scripture that I, I failed to mention, and that's in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts in chapter 2, the Spirit descends on God's people. And there's fire. It sounds a lot like when the tabernacle and the temple were dedicated, and there's fire coming down. God's presence is there in a unique and special way. So the Holy Spirit descends on the church, and it, it reminds us of God's presence, pleased to dwell among people. And this is supposed to be, this idea of God's Spirit in us, it's supposed to be like the normal Christian experience. Paul says in Colossians 1.22, he has brought you into his own presence. But we know that we continue to live in this world. Um, being brought into God's presence, it doesn't take us out. It doesn't mean we, we get to, to put this world behind us. So instead, we carry the presence of God with us into the world wherever we go. We become like the nation of Israel wandering through the wilderness. 
taking God's presence with us as we travel. God's presence, this is, this is final reward stuff, though. Remember? Remember, I asked you to hold on to it. This is heaven. This is our final reward. God's presence, pleased to dwell among people. And so I think this means, I think this means that we, you, me, when, when we walk the normal Christian experience, when we have invited the Spirit into our lives, we carry around with us little bits of heaven. Like you, you are going into this world, you're like a little island of heaven moving around. Everywhere you go, you can't help it. You can't help it. You are, you are taking heaven with you. And so you're going to go home today. And, and maybe not everything is okay at home. But you're going to go with the strength and endurance, patience, and joy of heaven because you can't help but take the presence of God with you. You're, you're going to go into a world that is broken. And we're going to leave little heaven here because every time we gather, it's, it's heaven on earth, right here, the presence of God right here with us. You're going to leave little heaven. You're going to go out into, into the world. You know, tomorrow you're going to go to school. Some of you are going to deal with students who, who suffer when school is out. You're going to find brokenness. Some of, some of you are going to find drama. Like, where did all this drama come from when there was, like, a break from school? How did this happen? You're going to find brokenness in all stripes. But all of the power of heaven to give you strength and endurance and patience and joy, it will be in you. You can face it. Not because you're so strong, because God is at work in you. We're going to send people into, into shops, into job sites, into offices, into hospitals. All over this community, you, you are going to go into broken situations. Your, your heart races when I just mention the word about your work tomorrow. You, you, you know the brokenness that you face in this world. And you can go in strength, with endurance, patience, and joy. Not because you're so strong, and you are very strong. Not because you're so strong, but because all of the good of heaven to fix what is broken in this world is dwelling in you. It goes with you. You can't help it. You take it with you. So Paul says, remember, continue, continue in it, like, don't forget it. Just remember it's with you. Just remember it's with you. You got to hold on, you got to believe it. You got to hold it firmly, Paul says. Don't let go. Don't let go. What a responsibility and what a privilege, Right? It means that we, we, each day we, we remind ourselves who Jesus is, the, the image of the invisible God, our King, who has come to establish his kingdom on earth and then send us out into this world, living, living as if we are continuing in his kingdom, even though we're living in a world that doesn't yet know it means that every day we, we ask God for the ability to stand, to stand before him without fault, to just come into his presence again. And so, I'm just going to invite you to do that, to, to invite God's presence, and to, to ask God for, for vision to go there's a little outpost to heaven wherever you go.
Will you let me pray for you? Our Heavenly Father, we come as subjects of our King Jesus. Thanking you for all of the ways that you are at work. Uh, moving in us. Moving around us. Thank you, God, that we can be people of strength. That with endurance and patience, we can continue in this world. But Lord, we do it joyfully. Because your joy is our strength. Because we, we take with us wherever we go your spirit. God, help us. Help us to hold firmly to it. Our world, it, it's probably coming in like the next 20 minutes, Lord, in our lives. Real soon, though, for, for lots of us, Lord, we're, we're going to be reminded of, of the ways that things are just broken and not right. We don't live in a place that says every, everywhere all the time the dwelling place of God is among people. But we, we are preparing now to, to go into this world as people who hold on to that great hope. Who know that one day we're not going to be alone in, in our work or in our lives, the lone people believing it. One day we will, we will be gathered together with a whole bunch of people who, who are overjoyed to know that the dwelling of God is among people. But today, in this week, Lord, we're going into a very stressful season. There's, just, there's not enough time to get done what needs to get done in the next month. And so we're, we're going to need constant reminders, Lord, of, of your, your desire to walk with us. Of the, the truth that we are filled with your spirit. And that we are subjects to King Jesus. Taking his kingdom with us. Taking all of the power of heaven with us. Wherever we go. So we pray, Lord that you would descend on our hearts, that you would fill each of us with the power of your Spirit. May we truly be outposts of the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let me just give you a little benediction. Let me send you out from this place, this little slice of heaven we have right here, right? Called First Naz. So let me send you out from this little, this little heaven on earth into the world to live as outposts of Christ's kingdom wherever you go this week. God bless you as you go. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us on the First Naz podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston. Come join us.